I joke that marketers, including me, are like corporate shills who are just like empty vessels for for corporate speak. That that has totally shifted. Now marketers are saying, you know, we don't actually we don't feel comfortable with what's happening here and we are going to make a stand personally within our company. We're going to put our values on the line within our careers and that is a huge shift. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey everyone, really excited to share today's episode with you. I had the chance to sit down with Nandini Jami and Claire Atkin, co-founders of Check My Ads. Both started in B2B marketing and advertising, and once they met, they were kindred spirits, as they say, and joined together to embark on a more collective mission around helping brands and specifically marketers better understand where their dollars are going for their campaigns and better improve their investments and and associate with brands and media companies that don't encourage disinformation or worse, hate speech. So it's a very big topic. It aligns really really well with the Facebook advertising boycotts, which in and of itself is a lot to unpack. So I wanted to sit down with the two of them, understand their mission, how they're helping brands, and most of all, get their takes on cancel culture, the future of advertising, and really what marketing and advertising teams can do to not just hold themselves accountable, but make better decisions. And most of all, communicate those decisions and changes to the general public. So hope you find this conversation not just insightful, but encouraging and motivating, because as you'll find out, this is a big time of change and we're all in this together. Nanini, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Before we get into some of the very important work that you both are doing with Check My Ads, very timely, very important, like I said, why don't you share a little bit about yourselves, specifically your history and experience in marketing and advertising? Nandini, why don't you start? Sure. So my background is in marketing. I graduated with a degree in marketing from the University of Maryland, and I went on to work in, I I would say I kind of fell into B2B tech marketing. It was where I got my first job and it was just kind of where I ended up working for several years. Specifically, I was working for tech startups. And in these roles, I was often like I did a little bit of everything. So I was a bit of a generalist doing a little bit of copywriting, SEO, just the whole growth strategy as a whole. Great. Claire? Yeah, I've also been in B2B tech marketing for forever, it seems. I actually have a master's in geography and never studied marketing. (laughs) When I came to tech, I realized that the software model that is subscription is actually a really ethical place for marketers to be because you can't sell someone something that they don't need. It's not like there's one transaction and then it's over. They always have to have it be valuable or else they will churn. So I really liked that style of marketing so that's what I did with work. And then after the election, I was, I was just appalled at the way that the tech industry had helped to undermine the United States election, even though I'm Canadian, you know, we're all affected. So I actually went and studied international election observation and media analysis of election observation. So 
when Nandini and I met, she had founded Sleeping Giants and I had been working on just election integrity. And so we just found kindred spirits within the industry. I love that. And, you know, as someone who studied journalism and ended up in B2B publishing, <laughs> I can very much relate to the paths that you both went on. But I want to do I do want to dig into what kind of led you both to today. And Claire, you kind of said that you you were kindred spirits, which I love. And that kind of made me think about the fact that, you know, our past experiences tend to set a path for us. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily linear, but our past experiences or past learnings kind of uncover new opportunities and, and new ideas for us, which I think in, in this space specifically is really exciting and can lead to some great things. But I mean, since you both have a history in marketing and B2B specifically and marketing and tech, I'm sure that, you know, your experiences, and Claire, you kind of referred to this, led to uncovering some flaws or problems, things you possibly wanted to change, even injustices, right? And, and I think we'll kind of get deeper into this as we go into our conversation. But I mean, what issues have you found in advertising specifically? Nandini, I'd love to to have you kind of dig into this as co-founder of Sleeping Giants. I mean, this is a huge passion point for you. So I mean, what issues have you largely been seeing in the space? Right. So I stumbled into my activism work and into Sleeping Giants after the elections. I visited Breitbart.com for the first time. I'd been hearing about it for a while, certainly throughout the election cycle. And the first ad I came across was for Old Navy on the site. And having run one set of Google ads a couple months ago for the first time, (laughs) I was like, I don't think that these guys know they're on here because if they did, they would have excluded it already. And knowing how Google ads worked and knowing how easy it is to go do that and knowing that just that simple act could deprive Breitbart of ad dollars, of funds that they need to keep growing. I actually, I wrote a Medium post. I took a screenshot of an old baby ad and I put it out there and asked them to take down those, take down their ads from Breitbart. And I joined forces with Sleeping Giants a week later, and we started to basically grow this into a real campaign. And at first, it was just a couple of us taking these screenshots every day. And then people started to take notice. So they wanted to join us. And we, you know, we threw up a set of instructions and said, you know, just do what we're doing, take these screenshots, let the brands know, tag us in it so we can keep track of the progress that we're making. And because everyone was seeing different ads, they're all being targeted differently, we were able to scale the effort really quickly. So what we found through this campaign was that brands had no idea where their ads were appearing. And the fact that their ads were on Breitbart was news to them. And At the time, it was a really, really big shock to the advertising industry. It led to a lot of a lot of trouble. Agencies got in trouble. Google got in trouble. Google was letting the UK government advertise on terrorist content. I mean, this was a really, really bad situation. So that's kind of how that's kind of how I got involved in the world of advertising. Yeah. And like you said, 
big problems, I, I think, in how the entire advertising structure, advertising model was and, and still is being run. So let's let's kind of fast forward to where you both are today. How did uncovering these issues and frankly, there is this lack of transparency and, and accountability that I think is really coming to the forefront now. And, and I think we'll, we'll probably get into that. But I mean, how did these issues drive you to founding Check My Ads? So what we realized at Check My Ads is that basically Nadine and I met and then we went to Edinburgh and hung out for a few days. And on that trip, both of us were just like, man, why isn't the industry making any impactful changes? Like advertising is systematically funding hate and disinformation. The rise in the polarization of these issues has been thanks to the fact that money is flowing to people who are expounding hate and bigotry. I mean, that it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like something that we should let go on. And so we sort of were putting our heads together and we realized that marketers actually might need a lot more help than we originally thought. So what we're doing at Check My Ads is helping to frame brand safety, helping to frame how best to spend your advertising dollars and really working marketers through the intellectual practice of having to take a stand. And then of course, the marketing of taking that stand. And so we're working with brands to empower marketers to really feel like they have a way forward within this system. Yeah. I would add to that, that brands have really felt like they're in a tight spot because of campaigns like ours. Sleeping Giants, I think, has been, I guess, like our mission has largely been lost in translation in the marketing industry. People in marketing believe that we're out to get them, part of this like concept of cancel culture. And like nothing could be farther from the truth because my motivations for starting this campaign was to inform ad- advertisers and marketers of where their ads were going. It was really just to give them a heads up. And social media was the fastest way to do it. We've actually never launched a boycott. We have simply just made brands aware of where their ads were appearing. And that kind of put them in a, that kind of gives them an opportunity to respond and to restate what their values are to the public and to their customers. So we really see it as an opportunity for you to communicate your values in that way, in a very public way, and assert them in a meaningful way. And that means that we are being consistent with the values that we market on our website, in our commercials, and in a way that doesn't muddle our message. Yeah, I think that's a great point because now more than ever, I feel like brands are really emphasizing their values and their missions, not just as organizations, but as individuals. So how does that start from the top and trickle all the way down? And how does that impact the customer ultimately? And I know in retail specifically, we've been hearing a lot about values and mission-driven marketing, mission-driven businesses. So very, very relevant. And I think really speaks to where businesses need to go and what they need to be thinking about. But Claire, I do want to go back to, you know, this space, this brand safety space, because I feel like it's definitely a term I personally have been hearing about a lot more. So, you know, since since you guys are, are zeroing in on this market, would love to hear a little bit more about where this space is, 
right now and what the current promise is. Like who else is kind of playing in this market to help brands do sort of the same thing you guys are doing? And, and if they're not, I mean, I would love to, to hear, you know, how that space is playing out right now. I mean, the concept at all of brand safety sounds silly in today's world because what's happened is so originally marketers had to somehow make a business case for doing the right thing. And so they're like, oh, you know what would keep us safe from social media crises? Let's keep our brand safe. Well, that made perfect sense when that was the case. But I think things have shifted over the last few months. And actually, we're hearing from marketers themselves that they want to take a stand. This is not like them reflecting their customers now. They're saying, you know what? Things have changed. We actually are alarmed at what is happening in our industry. And we as a group internally, as a team within our brand, really, really want to take a stand with this. So the term brand safety is almost a misnomer at this point. I still think it's valuable though, because we're using it to discuss the fact that what is good for your brand is doing good by your community. So there's that. When we're talking about brand safety and advertising though, what we're talking about is are your ad dollars going to fund bad faith organizations? So people who peddle xenophobia and hatred and disinformation. This also applies, of course, to COVID-19 disinformation. Any content that is really bad for communities, we do not want our ad budgets funding. So that to me is a relatively simple concept. But what has happened in the industry is that brand safety as an idea has been misconstrued to somehow communicate that advertisers should be afraid of their ads being adjacent to, on a page, bad news. So news, for instance, that might make them feel uncomfortable or icky or, or to have content that just isn't, isn't feel-good content, positive sentiment analysis content. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that what they've done is they've used this technology called keyword block lists, and they've put words on those block lists to block certain URLs that have those words in them. So words like blood or shooting, violence, and that means that their ads, either pre-bid or post-bid, uh, don't get shown on those pages. That makes sense when you're talking about content that is calling for violence. But of course, most content that is calling for violence doesn't even use those words. And instead, what it has done is block news articles about these subjects. So instead of blocking white supremacy, we are blocking journalism. And that to me is just illogical. Yeah. So there's definitely some nuance there. I think it kind of plays into that notion of it's not just, you know, blocking those keywords. It's the context surrounding the content itself. So like you said, more around hateful content, disinformation. So there are two different lenses. I think that this needs to be looked at. So going back to that point around how a lot of solutions are more around, you know, keyword blocking and making sure ads kind of show up alongside positive or fuzzy content for, for lack of a better term. So because there's that misalignment, I guess, is it safe to assume that a lot of solutions in the market aren't quite measuring up or not fully delivering upon that promise of complete brand safety? 
Yeah, that is exactly how I would say that. They have, again, there's, I can draw a direct line between what we said at Sleeping Giants, where our campaign was around defunding very specific types of content. We used the words homophobia, xenophobia, misogyny, sexism, bigotry. This was the type of content we wanted brands to be aware of and to stay away from. And what brand safety technology companies did was reinterpret that and say, well, you guys don't want to appear on anything that could be potentially negative. And so what they did, as Claire said, was was ensure or even, I guess, overblock news content, which was, you know, not the point of the campaign and not really the point of advertising. Yeah. That makes total sense. And it's fascinating as we kind of peel back the layers, you know, how how nuanced and layered all this is. But let's dig into what Check My Ad specifically brings to the table to help marketers and advertising teams really ensure that their advertising dollars are being spent efficiently, effectively, and going to the right sources. Claire, we'd love for you to kind of dig into that. So the first thing we do is we have a newsletter and that newsletter comes out every two weeks. And we talk about the most prescient issues in ad tech. I say prescient. And usually when we use that term, it's about like, what is happening this decade? But in ad tech, things are changing week to week. So we are talking about Facebook ad boycotts and COVID-19 blocking and different kinds of fraud that advertisers have to be even more careful of than usual. This is not just about inefficiency of their spend, for instance, or giving money to criminals, but it's also making their brand unsafe on the web. So we cover that specific kind of fraud. And so we've been talking about these big subjects out in the open. We have an exponentially growing list of advertisers and agencies and even ad tech folks and government decision makers on our list here. And so we are talking about that. And that's like a free and accessible way to get all of the downloads of whatever we're thinking of in a given week. But then we've been contacted by brands and advertisers and ad agencies for, for originally we thought they wanted ad checks. We originally thought they wanted us to go through their site less and show them where the hate was so that they could block it. And we were we were expecting to see site lists, but instead what we've realized is folks are actually looking for a collective discussion internally about what they about where they stand on these topics because of course hate is is the furthest one but then there are questions of like well where do we stand on tabloids and where do we stand on taboola or other content generation engines where do we stand on fox news there's all of these really big topics to be had and so we're helping to i would say like manage that discussion within a team because it's a lot easier when when external consultants come in and like run a workshop for instance yeah and i and i could imagine that i mean there are important conversations that need to be had but probably a bit overwhelming largely because the media landscape is just expanding so much there are so many new sources you know some of them independent or more grassroots that eventually become you know household names i mean and i think our conversation so far and your mission check my ads mission um really ladders up to some of these larger issues that are happening in media right now at least from 
what I'm kind of noticing. So I'd love both of your takes on this. One, like I said, the expansion of the media landscape, and that's kind of giving not just a platform, but revenue opportunities to these to these sources that are not just problematic, but, you know, hateful. And then there's also this accountability issue that, you know, there's kind of a tug of war happening among social networks, right? And it's like, oh, well, are we content aggregators or are we publishers? And, you know, especially with Facebook, it's kind of like a back and forth around, okay, well, how much accountability do these platforms have? So I guess my my big question for you, and there could be probably a few layers to this part of the conversation, is are we kind of at a tipping point right now, just given that not just that people are more aware of these nuances in the media and, and social media landscape now, but there are also, you know, people are getting more critical of, you know, especially what's happening with Facebook now, and, and it's getting more attention. So are we in the middle of, of a tipping point, I guess, in the, in the advertising space? I think we are. As I said, like it used to be that customers are contacting marketers and marketers are having to make choices that reflect their audience. And now internally, marketers are coming to us and they're saying, oh my God, this doesn't reflect our employees' values at all. How can we better reflect our values? And these are marketers. I mean, I joke that marketers, including me, are like corporate shills who are just like empty vessels for for corporate (laughs) speak. That, That has totally shifted. Now marketers are saying, you know, we don't actually, we don't feel comfortable with what's happening here. And we are going to make a stand personally within our company. We're going to put our values on the line within our careers. And that is a huge shift. Absolutely. I would add that, Alicia, as you mentioned about this growing landscape and opportunities and options and marketing channels that are available to us, I think for the first time, marketers are not just jumping right in to spend money on all these new channels, but really thinking about what it means to spend money on those channels. I mean, obviously with Facebook, that's sort of brought that issue to the forefront, but also like the level of nuance that you have to to think about. One of the examples I would I would think about is Pinterest. So Pinterest has used the Facebook ad boycott as an opportunity to position itself as a Black Lives Matter friendly company. They have sort of been marketing themselves as a safe place to advertise, unlike Facebook. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that two of Pinterest's Black employees left the company as a result of being gaslighted as a result of a toxic work environment. One of them was doxxed by one of her own colleagues and the company didn't protect her. And these two employees have been very outspoken about the fact that they've been treated poorly at their company. And so for Pinterest to come out and say that they're uh, very pro-Black Lives Matter, but also be treating their employees like this, that presents a real dilemma for advertisers. Again, because they need to be careful who they spend their money with. And that's something they need to be thinking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it it really reflects the importance of not just looking at what's happening at face value, because <laughs> Clary kind of made reference to this. I mean, we're, we're all marketers. We know how to market. We know what messaging is starting to resonate now. But it's like digging a few layers deeper into what is actually being executed at the company level and do their internal practices really reflect what they're putting out into 
the market, right? Because like you said, Nandini, there's sometimes, and most of the time, sadly, a, a very strong misalignment there. But it kind of brings me to my follow-up question. I kind of made reference to the Facebook advertising boycott, which of course got a lot of headlines in the retail world, but a lot of conflicting viewpoints in terms of the potential impact, especially looking at where most of Facebook's ad revenues come from, largely a lot of smaller businesses, whereas a lot of big brands really hopped on the bandwagon to begin with. But I mean, you both live and breathe this space and are really keeping a close eye on it. So Nandini, why don't you share your take? I mean, do you think there's a a bigger, longer term impact here? Or is this just kind of a blip in, in terms of headlines, you know, getting positive attention for these brands? Yeah, well, Claire and I, uh, you know, we've talked about this extensively and we've written about it as well in our newsletter. We think that the value of the Facebook ad boycott isn't necessarily in the lost ad revenue for Facebook, because at the end of the day, it's a drop in the bucket for that company. But the real value of the boycott is the conversations that it's enabling on the ground among marketers and agencies and advertisers. For the first time, marketers are understanding what is taking place on this platform that they have invested so much money into. One thing that I learned recently was that the average, I have a contact at a big agency who told me that his clients were not aware that white supremacists were recruiting on Facebook. So I think a lot of the conversation around or the debate and the discussion around free speech and censorship has really hidden the fact that there's like really bad things happening on that platform. And the average person just doesn't know that. So it's kind of brought those issues to the forefront. And as a result, agencies are advising their marketing clients or in-house clients to think about like to really think through these issues for the first time. And yeah, and I believe that it's there's a larger understanding on the ground of what consumers have been so upset about all this time. So it's not just a grassroots effort this time. It's advertisers really coming to terms with what they've enabled through their ad spend. Got it. So is is it fair to say that you think that this is going to have some sort of ripple effect into broader, not just scrutiny, I guess, better understanding of how advertising works today, greater accountability in terms of where campaigns are going, you know, where ads are being shared or syndicated. Like, I'm just trying to think about the long-term impact. Like, will will this transcend into other platforms and, and other channels, do you think, like from a marketer's perspective? I think it already has. I mean, from what we're hearing, we started by talking about the open web, like not Facebook, not Google search, but we were talking about like what websites in the world should you be advertising on and then block everything else, basically to use an inclusion list. That's what our entire message was for months. It still is. And now, now this conversation is inspiring a larger discussion about like, well, how are we as members of a corporate team showing up in the world, I mean, it's powerful. Yeah. 
I love that. And Nanadi, I want to go back to your work, you know, at Sleeping Giants, and you kind of broke down your approach, you know, what has made the organization so impactful in raising awareness, not just among consumers, but among the brands as far as where their dollars are going, you know, increasing that that accountability, so to speak. So I want to put a actionable spin on this for for all of the marketers and advertising folks, you know, listening right now, trying to figure out how to move forward, how to ensure that they're putting their their investments and, you know, their time in the right place. I mean, what lessons or action items do you have for for them listening right now that, that, you know, they want to figure out how to get started and maybe assess their advertising tactics and ensure that they're they're continuing on the right path. Yeah, I would say the most important thing to do is to check your ads. So that means going into your site list and literally going going through it manually and, and understanding where your ads are appearing. Are they appearing on websites that people visit? <laughs> That's that's one of the most important things you want to do, but you'll also want to see what disinformation or or hate speech sites you you're appearing on. Just like go ahead and, and dig in and just see what you find. The second thing to do is to consider creating an inclusion list. So that involves putting together a list of websites that are that don't have bad faith publishers in them, but also include the sites and outlets that your customers are visiting. And, and being really intentional about that, right? And that might mean going to your customers and asking them, hey, what, like, what are you interested in? What are you reading lately? What kind of content are you interested in? And also expanding beyond programmatic advertising as, uh, or performance marketing even as, as your primary form of marketing. I would also want you to think about alternative channels. We, we talk frequently about alternative media networks, one that we that we've spoken to is Brand Advance. And that's a media network that works with intersectional audiences. So they have a whole massive list of publications that they work with who cover everything from LGBTQ audiences, disabled audiences, Gen Z, trans, and so on. So we want you to think about alternative ways of reaching out to your customers. And that might even mean getting creative. Think about you know, outdoor advertising or think about refreshing your website. You know, is your website up, up to snuff? Have you, is it possible for you to invest a little bit more in your user experience and make it a little bit easier for people to give you their credit cards or, you know, whatever it may be? There's so many ways to connect with your customers in an, in an authentic way that doesn't involve dropping it all into programmatic. Yeah, definitely some great tips in there. And and before we close out our, our time together, because we're a bit at the end of our time, I want to go back to the point around cancel culture, which we talked about briefly earlier. As we were thinking about, you know, the steps that brands, you know, marketers specifically can take to assess, you know, where their dollars are going right now, make some improvements, I, I could imagine there's this daunting feeling of having to own up or own their decisions or their mistakes in a way and the fear of being canceled, quote unquote. And like some people are saying like, oh, it should be accountability culture. People should be called in instead of called out. A lot of (laughs) that's a whole other conversation probably. But 
Claire, would love your take on, you know, what you say to companies or marketers specifically that, you know, want to take action, but then have this fear of being canceled. I mean, it it is a bit jarring. I, I totally understand that. But how can they encourage this accountability internally, be more transparent with their customers, but then say, okay, like we're, we're figuring out the, the right path forward. We're, we're holding ourselves accountable and, and we're going to do better, essentially. Is this a big cultural undertaking? I mean, what, what tips do you have? Mm, that's such a great question. So I have a few different points to make, and they're not like they're not necessarily adjacent to one another. The first I'll say is cancel culture, the term from my perspective, started when men were upset that they couldn't get away with sexually assaulting people anymore. So already that term is like tainted. Uh, <laughs> the second thing is That I think it's, let me just take like a giant zoom out for a second. Like the reason that we are having to vote with our wallets is because government is not keeping our communities safe. This is a crisis in federal policy just as much as it is a crisis of culture. And when our democracies are being undermined, and democracies, of course, keep people safe then we have to, as a, as a collective society, hold people who don't keep our, us safe to account in other ways. So whatever we're describing as cancel culture is this. We are trying very hard to overcome the ineptitude of governments and policymakers and enforcement when it comes to bad behavior. So those are two points. The third thing is, as a marketer internally, Yes, absolutely. Be be conscious that you will always be at risk of a social media crisis. I mean, I have a friend. He worked for um, communications for a city mayor, and he always used to say, "You know, you're you're always one tweet away from getting fired," and that, of course, is dangerous and problematic. And we have to talk about that. But on the other hand, if you internally don't take a stand. And if you as a company don't take a stand on certain topics when you are being called to do so, that unto itself sends a message. And so don't be afraid of engaging. We know it's messy. We understand that. Nadine and I both try to come at this with a sense of compassion. But on the other hand, you have to do something. If you are being asked by your partners and your employees and your prospective customers and your customers to say something and to do something in response to an issue, saying nothing is actually a really bad decision. Really powerful closing points there, Claire. And I think it is a ongoing conversation that, like you said, everyone's still trying to figure things out, figuring out what's right for their businesses, figuring out the best way to communicate, not just with their direct consumers, but their partners, the general public. But it's definitely, I think, a very important time in marketing and advertising. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you both to not just get your take on what's happening in the landscape, but how you're really helping drive positive change. But before I let you go, any closing thoughts, you know, calls to action? I know we talked about a lot today, probably a lot for our our listeners to unpack. So hopefully we can dig into another conversation soon and talk about this a little bit more. But any closing thoughts, insight into where folks can go to learn more about Check My Ads and the work that you're doing? Yeah. So our website is checkmyads.org, O-R-G. And on there, you'll see a link to our newsletter. Or you could just go to our newsletter. It's branded.substack.com. 
And that's a free sign up. You can go there and every two weeks we'll give you a headache. Wonderful. <laughs> Nandini, any closing thoughts from you? Uh, yeah, I would just say don't be afraid to be yourself, to be what your brand really represents. Most people out there, including you know my social media campaign, are not out to get you. We just want you to do better. And as long as we can see that you are responsive and, and genuinely engaging with us, that's what matters. It's not about being perfect. A hundred percent. And I know a lot of consumers, a lot of people on social media are saying just the exact same thing, just, you know, some sort of progress. And I think that's all we can focus on at this point. So again, thank you both so much for taking the time out. Really fascinating conversation. I know in my head, I'm just kind of unraveling everything, all of the, the key takeaways and talking points and, you know, how we collectively as an industry can, can do better. So thank you again so much for taking the time out. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>